This is a Federal News Network podcast. Agencies now have marching orders as they put the final touches on their fiscal 2023 budget requests. The Office of Management and Budget told them to put a major focus on the workforce, and that means more money and more programs. Federal News Network's executive editor Jason Miller has exclusive details on what OMB is telling agencies to do for 2023. He joins me now in studio. And Jason, you broke the story on Friday about that 4.6% federal raise in the so-called passback. What else is OMB wanting agencies to do, and how does it all relate to the workforce? The common theme across the passback, Tom, seems to me all about the workforce. Everything, every kind of management guidance that they provided was for the workforce, for the workforce. And a a perfect example is agencies are told to use their funding for 2023 to ensure that human resources and hiring managers have the necessary tools and capabilities to bring in the talent to meet all these other goals. Now, specifically, OMB says, have dedicated employees to build their talent teams from fiscal 22 into 23, make sure they have tools for hiring assessment processes and, and funds to staff up critical staffing gaps in in the human resources world. So they're saying we need to hire more people, but before we also hire more people, we need to have the people to do the hiring because chief human capital officers, those offices have been just, you know, impacted just like everybody else has with people leaving and not necessarily replacing people one for one. So the challenge becomes finding people that want to do HR in the federal government. I think the challenge is finding people who want to do HR anywhere. It's it's a tough job. But I think the, the White House recognizes that agencies have that missing gap and they need to fill the gap and they're telling agencies to do it. An- another area around the workforce, Tom, that they really are focused on is internships. And I think this is really important because the Biden administration is trying to get agencies to kind of reinvigorate their internships. So they gave them a deadline by February 15th, just next week, Tom. Agencies have to send OMB a quote-unquote best estimate of the number of paid and unpaid interns they plan to hire in 2022 and 2023. And now this is really important because there's no 2022 budget yet, so they don't really have money to pay interns. And there's no baseline of 2022 spending they can show that this is what we've done. Right, or plan to do, because internships usually obviously are for the summer. And there's a big focus across a lot of different agencies. Energy Department has a big uh, IT internship program. So I think that, that, again, goes back to the workforce, getting the right people with the right skill sets and building that pipeline. And diversity, equity, inclusion. Inclusion and now accessibility has been added to that acronym. The DEI also gets a lot of attention in the past backs here. What is OMB telling agencies to do? DEI and A and climate change were all part of this big push from the administration. Not surprising. They've been very clear about their focus areas and and cross-agency type goals. But by uh, February 15th, OMB wants a detailed explanation of what resources agencies will dedicate from 2023 to coordinate the implementation of what they call the Justice 40 initiative. This is at a minimum the amount of funding used for implementation coordination, the number of FTEs working on the implementation, contractor support if any, dedicated funding. Now, Justice 40 initiative, Tom, is something that came from the administration about the diversity, equity, and inclusion, trying to really focus on the not just the people, but the programmatic side of it, too, about ensuring that the programs are looking at not just specific people, but the country as a whole. The other thing they were told to do is specifically use money from the 2023 budget to hire expertise to implement equity action plans. Now, agencies should have an agency equity team, someone to lead that team and support team and and that are dedicated to these full-time efforts. Additionally, agencies were told to regularly conduct equity assessment, strengthen their collection, management, and use of data, staff research and evaluation, 
all of this to really understand where they're today, where they want to go, and ensure they're managing all these activities. And cybersecurity technology mandates have also been in past passbacks. Is that true this year? It's not, actually. This is crazy. I always expected the passback to be full of IT direction. And instead, Tom, there's one paragraph really about cybersecurity. And basically what OMB said was, hey, it's important to keep doing it. Make sure you're spending money on the high-valued assets. Not new there. Uh, I was really expecting a little more. There's nothing in there about shared services or the quality service management office, QSMOs. There's nothing in there about technology modernization fund or IT modernization or data strategy. To be honest, I was just surprised by it. They did say keep funding e-gov initiatives, and they also announced a new what they call line of business this one is under the federal executive boards. They're trying to reinvigorate the FEBs, which are located in regions around sure. the country. And they're saying instead of specific agencies funding the FEBs, everybody will put into a central fund about $10 million total to fund the FEBs. So I think that's a good sign because they realize the, the importance of these organizations within the regions across the country. That is a little surprising on the technology and cyber because they've published tens of thousands of words of executive orders about those topics. So you would think they would also want to have them expressed in the budget because they all cost money to get done. And was customer experience in there? They actually did spend a lot of time on customer experience and customer service. And I think that's where that if you will, technology pieces are hiding because one of the things they said was modernize those public-facing websites, particularly that serve citizens. They told agencies to identify websites and digital service that need to be prioritized, modernization, digitization. And then OMB is also encouraging the 35 high-impact service providers, and we have a link to who those 35 are, across government to build centralized cross-cutting customer service programs that may include hiring additional employees to support those initiatives. So again, common theme, hiring to meet the needs of citizens, to to serve citizens better. And we've used the word passback a couple of times so far. We should explain a passback is just part of the budget process, right? basically in the middle of it. So none of this is reality yet. Correct. Now, what the passback generally does is tells agencies what to do with their money in 2023. And it also puts down the guidance of what is important to the administration. For instance, Tom, we know there's no president's management agenda. There's a, only a kind of an outline, right? And there, we're waiting on the, the bigger information to drop. And one of the things OMB says in, in their passback guidance around the president's management agenda is, you know, by February 11th, send the final draft of agency priority goals. By February 23rd, send their final strategic plans that addresses their learning agendas and capacity assessments. So there are real things that are going to happen from the past back, but a lot of how you will spend your money in 2023 is really just future guidance because there is no 2023 budget yet. So there's no 2022 budget yet. Right. So what are you going to spend money on? We'll wait and see. But you're preparing, you're, you're thinking about it, you're coming up with the ideas. But this is, this is something just to be honest, is not shared widely. So when we can get a glimpse of it, it's very exciting time. You know how I get. Yes, I do know how you get. And by the way, also, the passback occurring now in mid-February, a little bit before mid-February, this is normally, traditionally, let's say, when the president's own proposal comes out for Congress. So usually what happens, again, typically is agencies get passback guidance around November before Thanksgiving. So they have between November and usually early February to finalize the budget, and then they, they send it to Congress in February. The Biden administration has said that the passback will not come until after the State of the Union. The State of the Union is March 1st. Will it be March? That's the assumption. Now, I've talked to OMB, and they said, well, don't say March because it's just going to come after the State of the Union. When is after? Well, it is March. The but rest I guess of the year. It could yeah. be <laughs> April or May as well. So they were very clear about saying just after the State of the Union. So something to watch for March 1st and, and see how things kind of move from there. Yeah. So 
So I was just going to say that when the final budget request comes out from the White House, that could be so close to Congress getting near August in which it's going to stop all federal business and start worrying about reelection. There's not a lot of time to consider a potential budget, much less one in time for October 1st. Well, I think they'll get it out sooner than later, but you're right. The budget process never works well. We're seeing this right now as another CR is potentially going to happen this week or early next week. And then they're still working through the 2022 budget request today, five, six months into 2022. The budget process is getting to be like the 64-mile proverbial backup on the Beltway all the way around till it meets itself in the back. Federal News Network's Jason Miller, thanks so much. Always a pleasure, Tom. Check out his story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and today I'm thrilled to be joined by Melissa Bradley, the founder and managing partner at 1863 Ventures, an investment company focused on bridging entrepreneurship and racial equity, and accelerating new majority entrepreneurs from high potential to high growth. Additionally, Melissa is co-founder of Venture Back Eureka, a community where small businesses gain unprecedented access to the expertise needed to grow their businesses, and has more than 20 years of entrepreneurship, investment, and leadership experience. Melissa, welcome, and thank you for being here. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Who is the first person that you remember looking up to as a leader? And what was it about them that inspired you? So there are actually two people. Um, The first person personally was my mom. Uh, She was a single parent. And what I realized is that she was the leader of our household, but she was also the leader of our community. Um, She was a staunch advocate for children's rights in public schools, making sure that we got a quality education. She was a staunch advocate around rights for renters. Um, we were not in a financial position that we actually ever owned a home, uh, but she made sure that people who lived in various types of housing, we were in regular housing. The people who were in regular housing, public housing, she made sure that their rights were advocated for um, and really just always kind of looked out for, I'll, I'll use air quotes, the little guy, while although we were the little guy. Uh, and then I would say she was a huge advocate of older folks. Um, as part of her job, she worked during the week uh, in a full-time job and then cleaned houses on the weekend, but also took care of elderly folks and a staunch advocate for elderly rights. Um, so that was probably the, the first leader. And then I would say the second leader that really came about professionally was a woman named Crystal, Crystal Gaskins, uh, who actually ran a headhunting temporary firm that I ended up spending about a year at, but quickly realized that was not my calling. But in a world where you are constantly managing the powers that be that want to hire all these people and move people around and the folks who are sometimes in vulnerable positions and obviously seeking a job, she would always manage to treat everyone with the, with the ultimate respect. And part of the business was actually um, managing hotels and getting service workers to show up. And that's a tough job, right, to try to motivate people who barely are getting paid enough under not great conditions. Um, and so she taught me three things. She taught me how to be a motivator and that recognizing leadership is not mandating, but motivating. She taught me that leadership is not just reporting up, but also reflecting and supporting those who may be underneath you from a hierarchical structure. And she also taught me that leadership was not about money, uh, but it was about producing positive outcomes for whoever your customers were. And if you did that, then obviously the money would come. 
How would you describe your leadership style and how has that developed over the years? Mm. I would describe it hashtag work in progress. Um, it, it has evolved over the years, I think, two ways. One, uh, the more people I've been exposed to in leadership positions have certainly helped me pivot and make adjustments. And then certainly as my leadership roles have elevated and probably as the more people I've been responsible for has elevated, uh, you know, certainly being managing partner and founder of 1863 Ventures, we manage a lot of people. We have actually tripled our staff this year. And so we went from three people to oh, actually 12 people plus and growing. Uh, and we went from a couple hundred members to almost 10,000 members. And that's a big deal. Um, I, so my leadership style has evolved in terms of more people that I have reporting to me. I think it's, I, I focus on autonomy. I focus, I'm, I'm very clear that my role is to help other people be successful. Uh, I do set very clear deadlines. I am try to do a good job of kind of projecting what is the overall mission and vision, what are the KPIs and OKRs that we need to hit, and then I feel like I need to get out the way. I need not be a micromanager. I need to recognize, particularly since COVID, that people have kids, they have lives, they have ways that they know how they perform best. And so we now have people who work for me all over the world. And as long as we meet our deliverables, I don't need to know that you're sitting in a cubicle or sitting at your computer from nine to five. Um, And that's because I've been at those nine to five jobs where I literally had nothing to do, but I knew I was told I had to be in the office. Uh, And it just seemed like a complete waste of time. And so I'm really laser focused on outcomes and productivity and advancing the vision and mission and not on what does it look like? Because I think a successful work looks different for everyone. And then I would say more externally, as we now have grown to lots of members and we have a social media presence and I talk to people, I'm mindful that the, the probably the most important from an external uh, perspective on my leadership is that I am mindful that I am modeling not just for myself, but particularly for other leaders and particularly Black women and certainly gay Black women, uh, you know, there are not a lot of us. Um, you know, you mentioned that I'm a co-founder of Eureka, so I'm fortunate enough to be in the first 30 or so Black women that have been supported through venture capital, which is a sad statistic, but for a different topic. And so I'm mindful that people are always watching me. And I would say that certainly as a Black woman, people are always watching you, not always for the better and cheering you on, but waiting for you to make a mistake and slip up. And so I'm mindful that when I step into a room or I show up somewhere, I'm not just representing Melissa Bradley and my immediate family. I'm representing all of my members and potentially sending a single effect of what other people are going to expect as Black women. And the final thing I would say that definitely has evolved since now that I'm over 50 uh, is that I feel a much greater freedom to say what's on my mind um, than I did before. And I, and I do that. I probably said what was on my mind before, but in a way that was reflective of my frustration and anger with the system. And now I say it with the, expect, with the level of calmness and the expectation that it's important that we are honest around what do Black communities experience, and to phrase it in a way not based on anger, but really using data. And so I would say I've consistently been a staunch advocate for Black and Brown communities, but as it evolved from being very reactive and saying, well, don't do this and don't do that, to saying, 
Let me explain to you why I think it's important that we take this up and really letting the facts drive the discussion. Some of that probably comes from the fact that I've worked in two presidential administrations, and we all know that that just goes back and forth and oftentimes based on rhetoric and not fact. And having six kids in a world of social media, I think there's something, the the art of of conversation based on facts and data has devolved to uh, opinions and pundits. And and I think that's a challenge around leadership because your job is not, in my my mind to convince people, but to inform people and allow them to make decisions for themselves. I, I saw you on a post uh, with a Washington Post um, uh, interview, and it, it, you were amazing. And it, it's interesting to listen to you describe what you just said, because I could see all of that reflected in how you responded there. And um, make one other quick uh, comment about as a company grows, WEPA is growing as well. And you are so spot on. We have, as, as leaders, we have to let go and trust those people that work for us and empower them to do their job and then let them roll. And that's not always easy. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.